If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of John. We'll be in John 18. We'll also be in John 8 and John 14 today. We're in a series called Explore God, where we are looking at questions that people often ask about Christianity. This is a collective effort of many of the churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You've probably seen billboards that say Explore God on them. And you have a website, exploregod.com, where you can go, you can ask questions that you have about God, you can also direct friends and neighbors there to find out more about God. So this is week four, and thus far we have asked three different questions and tried to find biblical answers to the question. In week one, we asked the question, does life have a purpose? In week two, we asked, is there a God? Last week, uh, John Fletcher did a great job dealing with the question of why does God allow pain and suffering? Today, we're going to be looking at the question of, is Christianity too narrow? Now, if you've missed any of the sermons, you can go to our website, murphychurch.com, and you can catch back up in the series. But when it comes to this question of, is God too narrow? I'm going to answer that with three answers, and then we'll break down each of those answers. Yes, no, and sometimes. Uh, Yes, Christianity is narrow, but I would actually prefer the term precise. Christianity gives us a very precise answer as to who God is and how we can know Him. And I'll show you today that it was actually Jesus who defined Christianity for us in these precise terms. No, Christianity is not too narrow, because when you believe something as truth, then you expect things that are true to be precise. But yes, sometimes people make Christianity too narrow. When we add to the gospel, or we add to what the Bible says, says we add our preferences or we add our traditions to those and we elevate them to the point of Scripture. So let me start with the last idea and kind of work backwards. Every Christian, every church has preferences for how you live out Christianity. God has given us music. I like to say that music is the language of the soul. As we think about worship, Uh, Music is a way that we express our love, our gratitude, our worship to God. But you have different preferences when it comes to music. Some of you may prefer a formal high church style of music. Uh, Some of you may prefer a cappella music where there is no instrument. Some may like southern gospel where you have a little bit of twang. In the music. Some of you guys may like more praise and worship music where you're singing to God, and a lot of times it is very uh, you to God versus we to God. Uh, Some of you may like in the last 10 years there's been a revival of uh, rich hymnody. It's kind of modern doctrinal hymns, and some of you may prefer those modern doctrinal hymns or the hymn remakes. We all have different preferences when it comes to music. When this becomes a problem, when it becomes too narrow, is whenever you say, my preference needs to be what everybody else follows as well. And you take your preference and you try to force it 
upon other people. When it comes to dress, the Scriptures teach us that we are to dress modestly, that we're to use wisdom in our dress. People ask me sometimes, what's the dress code when it comes to Murphy Road? Our dress code is that you wear clothes, okay? That, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. You need to wear clothes to church. And I ask that you use common sense, all right? There's certain things that are just not appropriate to wear to church. And so use common sense about that. But when it comes to church dress, some people prefer coat and tie. Some churches believe that women should only wear dresses, and so they don't, they don't want women to wear pants in church or sometimes ever. Some churches say no business casual is how you need to dress for church. Some churches, the clergy wears robes. Uh, in some churches, if you don't have a shaved head and a tight t-shirt and flip-flops, then you're not a Christian. You know? uh, but basically, don't take your preferences for clothing and force that upon everybody else. That's making Christianity too narrow. When it comes to raising children, the scriptures teach us that if you have children in the home, if you have a strong influence within your grandchildren's lives, you are supposed to raise those children in the way of the Lord. So here at Murphy Road, as we've talked about this, we see the home front as the primary place where children are supposed to receive their spiritual education. We as a church come alongside families and try to help you as families raise your children in the way of the Lord. So our families are going to make different decisions about how to raise your kids when it comes to education. Some families are going to choose public education. Some may choose homeschool. Some may choose Christian school. Some may choose university model school, prep school. You know, you have to make your decision for how you're going to educate your children. We come alongside you in that. Uh, I tell folks when it comes to the different things that we offer around here, both with children and youth, we offer a lot of different ministries. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. Every family has to determine, okay, how does, how does this ministry or this ministry work into our family's life? Is this something that we're going to participate in? Is this not? And you have to make a decision as a family, and as long as we don't take our preferences and force them upon everybody else, we're okay. But we make Christianity too narrow when we start thinking, okay, the way I raise my family and the decisions that I make in these areas of Christian liberty, everybody needs to do exactly like I do. There are some areas where the Bible speaks directly to. There's not wiggle room in those areas. There's other areas where there's Christian liberty. And don't take your personal preferences and force them on everybody else. Because when you do that, you make Christianity too narrow. I want to encourage you to be careful not to become a Christian whose attitude, actions, and language push people away from the cross instead of drawing them to the cross. There's nothing wrong with you having preferences. If in your expression of Christianity you have a very tight narrow uh, way in which you live out your Christian life, that's okay. But don't mistake your preferences for the gospel. And don't feel like everybody needs to be exactly like you. Now let me return to the original question. Is Christianity too narrow? And I'm going to say no. 
It's not too narrow because when you believe something as truth, you want it to be precise. Now, we're comfortable with this in other areas of life beyond spirituality. When it comes to mathematics, we're comfortable with truth being very precise. If Lash drives in his vehicle 60 miles in one hour and the speed limit sign says 40 miles per hour, then Lash deserves a ticket for speeding. Okay, that's just mathematics. If I'm going faster than the speed limit, I'm guilty. I deserve a ticket for speeding, and you can then figure it out, okay, how much should the ticket be and all that good stuff like that. Okay, when it comes to scientific truth, we're comfortable with precision. If I go outside tonight on my patio with a glass of water, and I sit down on the porch, and I say, I'm going to sit here until this glass of water freezes, I'm going to sit there all night. Now, I'm glad the temperatures are getting lower. But until the temperature reaches 32 degrees, that water is not going to freeze. It could be 34. It's not going to freeze. It's got to reach the freezing point, And when it reaches the freezing point, then we understand the water will freeze. It's precise. When it comes to physical truth, there is a measure of precision that we're comfortable with. Back when I was in high school, when I was in my prime, you know, I, I could run a half mile in two minutes. I could run a mile in four minutes and 40 seconds. Now I'm no longer in my prime. Things change. I still run, but turtles pass me when I run. It's embarrassing. They know me by name. They say hi as they go past me all the time. Physical changes. You slow down. You age. It doesn't matter how many protein shakes you drink, how many yoga classes you go to. Eventually, your body ages. You start getting slower. You may still do some of the things that you used to do, but you do them a little differently. We're comfortable with that. Maybe not comfortable, but we realize the physical realities of truth there that we age. There's also performance truth. We have a fantasy football league around here. And so I, I'm participating in the Fantasy Football League. My team's called the Screaming Preachers. It's great. And a few weeks ago, uh, I drafted my team for the, for the Screaming Preachers, and the computer said I got an A on my draft. It said I should go 12-2 and two for the season. I was like, man, we are pretty good. And then there's the reality. We're now three weeks into the season. I've won once and lost twice. No matter how good I think I am, There's performance truth, and the reality is I stink. My team's horrible. There's no doubt about it. Performance truth has revealed itself to be very precise. I'm one and two. Now, if mathematical truth, scientific truth, physical truth, performance truth can be absolute, if it can be precise, what if there is also spiritual and moral truth? What if there is genuine truth? truth when it comes to who God is and how, may we, how, how we may know Him. Now, in our culture, we are dominated by this thought that spiritual truth and moral truth are really just opinions. And many today ha- have embraced this idea that when it comes to universal truth, spiritual things, 
there is no right or wrong. There's only your opinion. I was talking to a waiter the other day about spiritual things, and he said, hey, hey, what you believe is cool and what I believe is cool. I mean, what you believe is no greater than me, and so I don't judge you, you don't judge me. We're just all good here. And, and many believe that when, when they encounter someone that has a spiritual belief system, you are a person of faith, they believe that that's cute. You know, it's good for you. I'm glad you have your faith. Uh, Yeah, faith helps people deal with problems. When you go through difficult things, then then it helps you. And and they think it's okay for you to have faith so long as you don't believe it. But if you believe it, I mean, if you really believe that your faith is true, then your faith suddenly becomes offensive and, and they start pushing against you as a person of faith. But if spiritual truth, if moral, ethical truth is just a matter of opinion, then we have major problems. Let me give you an example. In this room, I believe everyone probably agrees that terrorism and the events of 9-11 are morally reprehensible. Do we all agree that, that the events of 9-11 were morally reprehensible? Any objections? Okay. Well, there's actually about 112 million people statistically in the world that feel that events like 9-11 were morally justified. And they make strong causes that behaviors within Western society justify them behaving in this warlike fashion upon our society. So question being, who's right? Who has the moral high ground? Am I right that what they did was wrong, or are they right that what they did was justified? They believe that what they did was right just as much as I believe that what they did was wrong. You say, okay, well, let's create law so that societies come together, and if someone believes something that is harmful and will hurt others, then we'll create a law against it. Now, I'm thankful for law, and I'm thankful for law enforcement officials. And by the way, I think uh, now's a good time to tell those that serve in law enforcement that at Murphy Road, we're thankful for what they do day in and day out. I mean, we have a lot of men and women in our church that, that risk their life every day trying to keep us safe and enforce the laws of our community. At the same, thing, at the same time, we need to realize that law is not the ultimate determinant of whether something is morally or ethically right or wrong because law changes based upon time and geography. Let me give you an example. In Texas, it's illegal to smoke marijuana. A couple weeks ago, I was in Washington State. In Washington State, it's legal. You have these little places that have green crosses. You can go in there and and you can buy a Coke and some marijuana. Coca-Cola, not cocaine, okay? But you can buy a Coke, and you can buy, you can buy some marijuana, and, and it's, it's legal. You say, well, did you smoke it while you were in Washington because it's legal? No, I did not, okay? But Pac did, and so, you know, yeah, he's back at the back. He, he really didn't, okay? Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, he didn't, okay? Uh, Mrs. Packabush, he didn't do it, I promise, all right? Uh, 
But law changes based upon where you are in, in, in geography. Uh, 5,000 for 5,000 years, uh, societies basically thought that same-sex marriage was a, a bad idea. Uh, over the last 5, 10 years, many Americans have changed their beliefs on that so that it's now legal for same-sex couples to get married in this country. Yet at the same time, if you hop on a plane and go to Russia, it's wrong again. And so based upon where you are in time, based upon where you are in the world, uh, your moral and ethic changes And if truth is just a matter of opinion, or if truth is whatever the law says where you are, when you are, then eventually finding moral, ethical truth becomes like nailing jello to the wall. It's just very difficult to find. Is Christianity narrow? Yes. But it was Jesus who made it so because Jesus taught that Christianity is narrow truth. You see, Jesus held to a radical idea. He held that truth is not a matter of opinion, that truth is not simply uh, found in observational law. Jesus actually taught that truth is found in him. So think with me about this for a moment. I know this isn't what we're taught on Oprah or in Disney films and things like that, but is it possible that beyond your opinions of what is, beyond our discovered what is, that there is a holy truth that is determined by the Creator? Is it possible that the Creator determines truth because He is the one who knows reality and knows the intention of his creation. Let me give you a scenario. You're a judge. You have a high-profile case. The media has demonized the defendant. It's obvious to you that the defendant is innocent. But you have a dilemma. The situation is such that if you let this innocent person go... You might be thrown from power and dragged through the streets. But if you pronounce this person guilty, they will be killed and an innocent man will die. That was the position of Pontius Pilate when he faced Jesus in John chapter 18. The Bible says that Pilate went back into his headquarters and he summoned Jesus and he said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Now, what Pilate is asking Jesus here is, are you committing treason? You're in a conquered province. You're not allowed to have a king that we don't endorse. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Now, notice what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. Uh, Within the Christian community, we would probably be well served to remember verse 36, that his kingdom is not of this world. Verse 37 says, you are a king then, Pilate asked. 
You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. And I love this next part. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Pilate asked. So here's Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate just before the crucifixion, and he begins discussing one of the common themes of his ministry, which is truth, specifically spiritual truth. And he says, he says, I have come into the world for this. I'm going to die to testify to the truth that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus says, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So you basically either are or you're not. The religious leaders were spewing lies about Jesus. And Pilate here had a watershed moment. What are you going to believe about Jesus? This was a powerful man standing before the trial of eternity. This was a man who had led armies. This was a man who had climbed the political ladder. He thought he was very powerful, but Jesus asked him this basic question, what side of truth are you on? Spiritual truth is a dividing line in life. The Scriptures don't give room for a no-man's land. They essentially teach you are either at enmity with God or you're a friend of God. You're either on the side of evil, or you're on the side of God. Truth is either merely your opinion, or truth is found in God. Either you live for you, and you pursue your hedonistic pleasures, or you live for God, and you live for others. Either you follow the world, or you follow Christ. Hear me well on this. When it comes to truth, it's a dividing line in our lives. And what you decide about truth is going to define your life. Jesus said, if you abide in my truth, the truth will set you free. In John chapter 8, earlier in his ministry, uh, the scriptures say in verse 30 that he was saying these things, and many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word... You really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he's talking to those who are believing his message, and he tells them, if you continue in my word, then you reveal that your commitment to follow me was genuine. You genuinely are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and in the truth there will be freedom. A few years ago, I had LASIK surgery. I have a friend who's an ophthalmologist, and so I was talking to him, and he gave me a cut-rate friend deal on LASIK surgery. And everything went really well. Uh, if you ever have LASIK surgery, I would encourage you to take the Valium that they, they offer before, because I think since it was my friend and he was giving me a deal, he didn't offer me the Valium. And it was horrifying. I mean, they're like cutting your eyeball. But basically, uh, my cornea had, had, I had healthy eyes, but my cornea wasn't shaped right. 
And so in a few moments, they took this laser and they reshape my eyeballs. And so I go in to the surgery, needing glasses or contacts in order to see clearly. I come out a few minutes later being able to see 2015. Suddenly I, I could see. Now at first, it wasn't comfortable. When I first got up, light was, I was very sensitive to light. My eyes were watering. They told me to go home, wear sunglasses, keep my eyes shut for several hours. But then over time, I was able to uh, open my eyes again and see. And, and for the first time in my life, the world wasn't blurry. And to some degree, that's how it is with truth. Whenever you believe in Jesus... Whenever you begin seeing spiritual truth through the lens of Christ, for the first time, the world begins to clear up. It's no longer blurry. Now, for many of us, at first, it's a little bit uncomfortable. At first, whenever you hear the teachings of Jesus and you begin thinking on spiritual matters, it's a little bit hard to receive and hard to see, but as you abide in truth... Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Keep believing in me. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep being my disciple. And you see the world differently whenever you are in Christ. It was just before the horror of the crucifixion, just before the celebration of the resurrection, that Jesus made his most extraordinary claim about truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's ahead. And he says to them, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In verse 2, he says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way where I am going. Well, at this point, Thomas pipes in. Thomas is the great skeptic of the New Testament. He was one of these guys who always wanted proof. He had a hard time dealing with truth. And so he pipes in and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Lord, can you give me an address so I can put it in my phone? Lord, I need, some, I need some specifics here. Show me the way. And at that, Jesus makes his most extraordinary claim about spiritual truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now unpack that for a second. Jesus says, I am the way. Thomas, you want to know the way to God? You want to know precisely how you find God, how you know his truth, how you live for him, how you experience his love? I am the way. There are a lot of opinions about how people can know God, who God is, what God is like. Jesus says, I am the truth. People desire to uh, move beyond the scourge of death. I am the life. And then he makes this extraordinarily exclusive, narrow, and precise 
statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. Question for you. Is Jesus' statement here rather narrow? Is it? Yeah. But it's Jesus' statement. All right. You can't have Christianity without Jesus. Christianity rises and falls on Jesus. You can't take the words of Jesus out of Christianity and still have the heart of Christianity. And Jesus himself made a statement of truth, a precise statement of truth, that I am the way, the truth, and and the life. No man comes to God except through me. Now, whenever you've taken on the sins of the world, when you're able to overcome death, you're kind of uniquely entitled to make narrow statements of truth. And Jesus says, believe in me. Now, I, I see this happen frequently. Whenever we believe in the wrong things, over time, you get disappointed. Why is that? Because uh, they prove to be not trustworthy. And we, we say, I'm going I'm to believe in love. And so we think that uh, in, in a marriage or in a loving relationship that all of our dreams are going to be fulfilled. And we believe in marriage. We believe in love. Yet at the same time, the people that we love here on earth, they are frail. And at times we find ourselves disappointed because we thought that that was going to answer all of our questions and that was going to complete me. And it doesn't complete you. You're still looking. There's still areas of your life that don't seem right. We think that in church, if I, if I just place my faith in church, that, that everything will be okay, and then things happen in the church that disappoint you, and that's why there's so many people out there that are de-churched, or uh, they're still in church, but they're apathetic, or they're disillusioned. Because if you place your faith in church, uh, I will disappoint you. The church will disappoint you. You will disappoint you over time. You'll do things that you know are wrong, and You'll disappoint yourself. If you believe in the wrong things, you are guaranteed disappointment. That's why God calls us to believe in the one thing that is totally trustworthy. God calls us to believe in himself. Jesus says, believe in me. Now, this is one of the great distinctions of Christianity. If you look at the buffet of world religions... In world religions, you are to believe in a set of teachings. Here are the scriptures. Here's the code. You live this way. You believe in these teachings. In Christianity, you are called to believe in a Savior. Jesus says, believe in me. And then out of your love for me, you'll obey my commandments. If you look at the buffet of world religions, it's works-based. Can I be good enough? to earn the love or earn the approval of the divine. In Christianity, it's grace-based. It's not about how good you can be. It's about how good God has been to us in sending His Son, living the life that we couldn't live, taking on death for us, overcoming death, so that if we believe in Him, we are now loved by God, not because of our loveliness, but we are loved by God because God sees us in 
Christ. And because we are in Christ, the Bible teaches us in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not my past, not my, my, my shortcomings today, uh, not my doubts. Nothing can separate me from Christ because if I believe in Christ, I am in him for all eternity and God loves me as his child because I'm in Christ. Believing in Christ's grace, it's one of the great distinctives of Christianity. Some see it as too narrow and they push away from God because they say it's just too narrow. I see it as precise. I see it as comforting. If God exists, if God is real, wouldn't it be nice for God to tell us exactly how we can know him? If God is real, wouldn't it be nice for God to tell us exactly how we can be his child, how we can be forgiven, how we can have purpose in our life, how we can have our life be attached to his work? Jesus says, I have shown you, God has spoken, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The answer is me. And so he calls us to believe, to believe in him as Lord and Savior. It's the step of faith, the initial step of faith in Christianity. And I want to ask you before I close, has there ever been that time in your life where you've believed? I'm not talking about your church resume. I'm not talking about the fact that your granddaddy was a preacher. Has there ever been that time in your life when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Olivia and Gracie today, when they were being baptized, that is an outward symbol of what they believed in their heart. The initial step of Christianity is believing in Christ. Have you ever taken that step? My prayer for you today is that if you haven't, that today will be the day where you take that leap of faith and you place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads. We come to a time of commitment. You say, Lash, I'm, I'm one of those that you're talking about that needs to believe in Christ today. Well, as you stand with your head bowed, I, I want you to mark this moment in your life that right here at, at Murphy Church uh, on this Sunday, uh, first week here in October, that this is the moment where you take that leap of faith and you believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you to call out to God. Admit to the Lord that you have done things that are wrong, that you are not Him, and ask for His forgiveness. And with your head bowed, just you and God right now, I encourage you to trust in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. And to ask God to invade your life and to give you the ability to see truth, to live for Him, and to know Him. If this is that moment in your life where you're taking that leap of faith for the very first time, today is your day of salvation. It's your day of new beginning. And we as a church, we celebrate with you. I 
I want to encourage you to let me know as the pastor. I want to help you, encourage you however I may. I'll be here at the front during this next song. You can come and let me know during this song. I'll be here after the service as well, and you can talk with me then. We're excited when people take that leap of faith. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you because you are our God, and we now enter into this time of worship where we sing to you, where we give of our offerings, where we renew our commitment to you. Father, I pray that you might reign in our lives as truth and that we might be able to see things clearly because we see the world through you. Thank you, Father, for not being just a mystery that created us and said, you're on your own. But thank you, Father, for being a God that loves us so much that you have clearly shown us the way to you so that we might live as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.